Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be opening up the Salt and Light Treasure Vault and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2016. We begin by speaking with author David Goulet about his Way of the Cross comic book, and we reconnect with singer-songwriter Lupe Rios, who has a new album, Paradisum. In our second half hour, we speak with author Sally Reed about her book, Night's Bright Darkness, that tells of her conversion story. And at the end of the program, we meet singer-songwriter P.J. Anderson. We begin now with The Way of the Cross, the comic book. When you think of comics or graphic novels, you're probably not thinking of religious content, are you? I remember a few years ago, um, a manga Bible came out, and some of you might not even know what manga is. Um, It's that sort of Japanese style of of graphic uh, comic illustration. Um, And there were several graphic novel style books that were also based on Bible stories and, and in that same manga style. But to use that medium for a reflection on the way of the cross, that's probably not something that would come first to mind. But that's exactly what author David Goulet has done with artist Joe Spicer. Together, they've put together The Way of the Cross, a comic book. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by David Goulet. David, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro. So um, I, I think you'll agree with me that this is maybe not the first thing that will you know come up in, in people's minds when they think either comics or they think of Way of the Cross or they think of how should I write a reflection? How should I illustrate a reflection, uh, meditation on the Way of the Cross? So how did you come up with this idea? Um, basically from going to uh, Stations of the Cross yeah. uh, over the years and uh, trying to bring my kids to it. Okay. And... My daughter, who's the older, um, would usually be, you know, very um, disciplined and sit there quietly and follow along. Um, whereas my son, being younger, would um, he had a hard time with it. Right. Um, you know, as most young uh, boys do sometimes yes. at church. Um, but I just found, I thought, you know, sometimes you might go to a mass that's more youth-oriented. There could be a youth mass so that uh, the kids do get more engaged. They might even go to uh, children's liturgy. Uh-huh. But we, you know, we recognize that sometimes we need to um, change the context for you know, the younger reader, uh, the younger person. Uh, I thought I, I really hadn't seen anyone do that um, with the way of the cross, with the stations of the okay, cross. Okay, I see. And, and I, I thought, let's start with that. Let, then I want to get my own son engaged in it. Maybe this is the way to go. Okay, and were you thinking specifically about the way of the cross, or were you thinking in general about you know the rosary or devotions or the mass? Um, yeah, why, like, why specifically the way of the cross? I, I think that was the one where I saw uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, like supplementary content. Okay. Um, there's lots of um, rosary books um, that you can get, or you know, follow along the mass, children's style. There's a lot of yes. illustrated yeah. books out there. Uh, that a lot of parishes actually keep at the back of the church for that. Um, but I hadn't really seen much, maybe because the Stations of the Cross are a little bit more um, senior in content. Like, it's a, it's a pretty graphic thing that you're following through. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, in, in history, the Stations 
some of them, you know, the ones I had seen in Europe or in pictures, could be very graphic of, uh, you know, Jesus's fall or the, the scourging. And so I guess it's not one you automatically think, well, this is one we need to lighten up for the kids. Yeah, um, that's true. But I thought we could, I think kids today, um, because of comic books, because of Marvel, DC, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they kind of get that medium. Um, they, I grew up on it more so than kids today. I think today it's more video games and apps than it was comic books. But um, I just thought this would be a way, take the Stations of the Cross, put it into a little bit of a comic book form. And also I, I noticed um, there are different, for the way of the cross, um, the meditations. Yes. Uh, people have interpreted them differently, and there are some that are, I guess, more modernized, um, some that are more contemplative. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what I'd like to do is make the the text a little bit more middle reader ground, uh, something that yeah. a, you know, a tweet or a teenager could maybe get their teeth into. Right, no, and I was going to ask you about that because ultimately you are not the illustrator, you're the author, you're the writer, so you wrote the meditation, um, and and as you said, it's not, you know, it's not, not that it's not deep, but it's not, you know, like you said, middle reader, so a 10-year-old could read it and, and understand it. I'm just going to read a little bit. Um, sure. You know, this is the... Um, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested. So the second station, you know, have you ever had a friend or a brother or sister rat you out to your parents? I mean, that just in itself is something that I think young people can can relate to or understand. So it's in a language that's easy to understand. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's not for adults, right? But it's it still means right. that it's, that it's for more, more accessible. Um, so would you say that your audience is primarily a younger audience or is this for anyone? I think, I think any time you look at something with fresh eyes, it can be for anyone. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've had I've had a couple of adult readers, um, a, a good mutual friend of ours, a Sister Marie Paul. Oh yes, um, yes, she's on this program it. regularly, actually, Sister Marie yeah. Paul Curley. Yeah, and and she uh, she enjoyed it. Um, so I think th- that aspect it works for for anyone who's just you know looking for uh, looking at it with new eyes. But I do think yes, for for the younger reader, it. It's just more accessible for them. Yeah, of course, of course, and and in fact, the, uh, the, all those manga things I mentioned earlier—the the manga books and the manga Bible—I um, think were intended for for younger readers, and I got them for my younger son as well, as you said, because you know he was hard. You know, I wanted him to have something. He seemed to to really like uh, graphic novels like Bone. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. You know, yeah, um, that's that's a classic. Yeah, um, it's a classic. Yeah, and and so as opposed to reading, my older son is more interested in reading chapter books, and so I guess it also depends on who you are. Some people are more visual. Um, yes. Uh, which I was going to say that there's something about the way of the cross that this is certainly not the first way of the cross that I see that has a meditation and a picture, that there's something about the picture that really draws you in to the meditation. Can you talk a little bit about how that the art helps us enter into the meditation? Um, Joel is uh, like a fantastic um, manga-influenced artist. Uh Um, I got to know him through some other just mutual Christian uh, writers and artists. And um, he had an interest in the devotion. He, he was raised Catholic. He's now, I, th- I think he's with an evangelical denomination, but he always had a, a fondness for that devotional. Yeah. And so when I started bouncing the idea off him looking for an artist, he was all in on it. 
And I liked his art in that it was he he doesn't hold back like he he goes with bright colors when when he feels it should be bright. He'll go with a dark and gothic look when he when he thinks that's the right mood. And I think he's very good at that at capturing the mood um, as we went from you know station to station. Um, I was always looking forward because I was always surprised. Okay, what's he going to do for the next one? And he'd send me the art, and I'd say, "Wow, that's not what I expected," and that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find a lot of his art it kind of jumps out at me. Um, some of it, like I, I remember Sister uh, Marie saying, "Ooh, that one, I don't know, that one was a bit much for me." Right. Um, and I thought, yeah, but that that particular station it should be too much for us. Um, right. And that's what I like. He's an honest artist in that. Uh, he doesn't hold back when he knows it's appropriate, and um, that's why the the our comic book probably like I wouldn't necessarily introduce it to a four or five year old um, because some of the images may be a little bit you know arresting. Um, but I you know I had my son; he's now eight years old. Right. Um, go through it, and and you know it it made him and my daughter as well, who's twelve. She was shocked by like one of the images of the, the crucifixion image. I think it was. And I said, that's okay. That image is meant to shock. That that station is very serious, and we have to grasp the uh, yeah. you know, the gravitas to it. And um, that's what I, I really liked about um, Joe's work, is that he didn't shy away from it. He knew not every image can be that way, and so some are more bright and superhero-ish. Yes. Um, and then others, there's, there's um, emotion in it. There's uh, almost romance in some, bromance. Yes. And uh, I, I just I thought he captured it very well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if people are interested in getting this, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's, it's the smallest the way of the cross. There's 14 stations. They're not traditionally necessarily the same 14 stations that people are maybe used to, but the passion story is all there from the... Uh, the you know the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the Resurrection, which is nice that you've included the Resurrection. Um, if people want to get this comic book, where should they go, David? They can go directly to uh, Joe's site, uh-huh. which is StarCrossStudio dot uh-huh. uh, com. Um, you can also if you, you'll just look there. It's also a nice introduction to other work that Joe has done and some of his friends. Right. Um, Amazon's Comicology, which is a very popular site for getting independent comic uh, artist work uh, comicology.com um, is another place okay so that's good so people can uh, either go to starcrossstudio.com and I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily and also through Amazon's uh, comic book uh, feature but I guess yeah. if they go to Amazon and just type in the way of the cross Joe Spicer David yeah, Boulay, I think maybe just come did, up. yeah way of the cross and maybe Joe Spicer Yes. Okay. We'll put all that information. And in fact, there's a yeah. neat little trailer at Starcross Studio that I think I might share on our site as well, so people can watch That's it. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's a very cool. nice little trailer. Um, and that way, people can see some images also from the uh, from the uh, from the booklet. Um, David, it's been great connecting back with you. Uh, good to hear you, and uh, thank you for doing this. And I hope that there's more to come because uh, there's certainly lots of devotions and meditations and rosaries and divine mercy <laughs> and other things that we could be using uh, this medium. To, uh, to help us enter into that mystery of, uh, yeah. of Jesus. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. All right, that was David Goulet. He's the writer of the new Way of the Cross comic book. And as we said, you can uh, go to starcrossstudio.com to find out more and to get your copy. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Lupe Rios, with Reverting from his new album, Paradisum.
That was Lupe Rios with Reverting from his new album, Paradisum. Last year, around this time, we met Lupe Rios, a young Mexican singer who had, had a beautiful Christmas album. Lupe lives in California, where he is the director of music at his parish. When he's not doing that, he's recording and composing. And his latest album, which we've been listening to, is called In Paradisum, which features six original tunes. Um, and to tell us more... Here now joining me is Lupe Rios. Lupe, welcome to the Salt and Light. Welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me again. So I um I know last year when we spoke uh, specifically about your Christmas album, you had told me that you had been doing you know little recordings here and there throughout, but but that in in some sense that album was kind of like your I don't want to say your first major one, but it was first in 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 many respects. This one I don't want to say is your second album. But th is there something different about this album for you? Yes, much more. You know, Christmas music is always kind of more general in some ways, and there's only so much of me I could put in there. People want to hear certain things for Christmas. Right. Um, but in this particular uh, album, I have a lot of music that is very personal to me. Uh, quite a few of them are my personal uh, compositions. Yeah and others that my mom taught me or that I've, you know, hymns from church that mean a lot to me. Um, it's mm -hmm. called Paradisum because uh, I, I always take seriously that, you know, for those of us that are believers in the Lord, paradise doesn't just come later when we die, but it comes 
in this life when you put you know that paradigm of faith those glasses of faith on and you start seeing things in the way that a person of faith should it becomes like paradise um everything from my upbringing to the struggles that i go through every day some awful things that could happen in my life and also the the beauty that comes with the, the with the hope uh through faith um and paradise kind of captures that, and that's why we called it Paradisum. Um, just the cover in my CD inside of it has a painting, uh-huh. and it's a painting that my good friend Jenny made of a picture that I had from the roof of my house in Mexico. So it's not just a random painting, but it, it has the roof of my house, and it looks over the sugarcane fields that my dad used to plant, the river that I used to swim at, the hills where I used to work as a child, um, growing corn with my parents, and at the same time, right above my house, which is the center of, of my faith in many ways. That's where my mom would read the Bible and open the scriptures to us, and we would pray as a family, and that was just my nucleus of my faith. And uh, that's why it's called Paradisum, even with the picture. Um, but again, this has a lot of, of, of music that means a lot, to me yeah. No, and I, I, in a way, my next question was going to be why Paradisum, and so thank you for answering it before I even asked. Um, in some sense, though, it's not just, I mean, you've, you've called the album that, and you've just explained why, but in some sense, do you, when you're, when you're putting together an album, all the songs have some connection, so would you say that all the songs also have some sort of paradise connection for you? Yes, yes. For sure. One of my favorite ones in here is uh, one of the traditional ones that my mom taught me is uh, called Señor Acuérdate. Uh-huh. And uh, the main theme in that one is, you know, kind of like in English, you sing, Jesus, remember me. Yeah. When you come into your kingdom and he turns and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, again. It's one yeah. of those songs of, of redemption that really fuels my faith, personally as a young man, also um, because I can always trust the Lord, to turn to the Lord, that he won't judge me in the way that humans would judge each other, but more open his arms and embrace me and say, you have humbled yourself before me and now paradise is yours. When you look at a song like Reverting, Mm -hmm. you know, it's talking really more about the doubts that one would have here in this life, but really has still that underlying hope uh, if you will take me, Lord, I will be there with you. Yeah. If you look at a prayer like his, another one of my songs that I compose, it has parallels with that humanity of Jesus, you know, with him in the in the Mount of Olives praying to his Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Mm-hmm. And as a human being, I find myself in that situation a lot, not just glorifying the Lord for his goodness and how great he is, but identifying with that Jesus human um that with a human jesus that suffered that cried for his friends that 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 was afraid at one point but at the end like in the song lord into your hands you know that if you put Mm -hmm. your heart and your soul in the lord's hands he takes care of you and always in a sense it presents paradise for you because it always has you know maybe because i'm mexican um i'm not too much afraid of death my mom always would say always be ready, but never be willing. And we have yeah, almost yeah. a flirtatious relationship with it. And as a church musician, you know, I play a lot of funerals. And one of my favorite lines is in the preface uh, before the Holy in a, in, a, in a funeral where Father says, Lord, for your faithful people, life is changed 
not ended. Yes. Also reminding us that, you know, in this life, it's just a journey. Mm-hmm. And paradise doesn't have to wait till after death. And we're always kind of, you know, there's no law separating the living and the dead, happiness from sadness. And uh, that hope and, and, and how faith bridges that and how the Lord mm-hmm. gives you the, the faith and comfort to, to, to remain in his heart. Right. I love the idea of, of, uh, of, of, you know, even in those moments of doubt or moments of suffering or trials, that, that paradise is found in those moments as well. Did you, I think that's hard for people to, to recognize or to realize. Did you, how did you come to that? Did you have to go, I mean, it's, uh, to go through trials? Like, what was that one thing in your life that helped you realize that paradise is found in, even in those moments? one and easiest one to probably help me form was growing up very poor. Mm-hmm. You learn to, to value things differently, to value a moment with your mother, with your father, with your friends, with your family, Yeah, a meal together, very simple things. My mom always used to say, you know, Lupe, you have to be very thankful to the Lord that you were born poor. <laughs> and of course, as a child, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this yeah, sucks. Yeah. I want new sneakers. I want new shorts. I want Nike this. I want a Nintendo 64. She's like, no, <laughs> because you will learn that your happiness will never be in material things. And you will learn how to be happy from a child. And I, so I think I mentioned to you before, when I was a kid, I used to work with my dad in the fields. If yeah. you look at it just from a teenager perspective it'd be like oh you know my life sucked it was so bad i had to work in the summers and when i was in high school in the evenings or in the mornings and i just want to enjoy my youth and have this but in those times when i was working i realized now as an adult that it was some of my happiest times because i was there with my father Mm -hmm. with my mother we would joke and sing songs all day we would have meal time together and it's something that now, as a young professional, I wish I could have more time to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so just that's one regard. Another one is, you know, um, a couple of years ago, I received uh, a, a, a diagnosis in it with a doctor that was not very good. Okay. <laughs> and it made me freak out as a yeah. young man. Am I going to die? Uh-huh. Am I not going to have enough time to, to do the things that I wanted to do? And I remember when I got off the phone with the doctor, my body went in autopilot. Uh-huh. And it's in those vulnerable times and you really know where your priorities are. And I remember, I'm not one to, to pray before the Blessed Sacrament very often, but mm-hmm. I've always sat down in church quietly and found some quiet time with the Lord. But I remember when I stood up from that chair, I wanted to panic, I wanted to scream. And instead, after he and the doctor gave me a, a diagnosis, I was... I calmed down. All of a sudden, I felt the the sun on my skin, the wind blowing slowly. I remember taking a little walk towards our chapel, and I sat there very humbly and very vulnerably in front of the Lord, and I said, Thank you, Lord. I don't understand this. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I'm very sad. But I had such a comfort in my heart that everything was going to be okay. And I remember sitting there for like half hour and just being glued to my seat and feeling an overwhelming feeling of love and, if anything, ironically, of 
health and of good standing because I felt like I was naked before the Lord. I had nothing to hide. He knew exactly what my fear was. And just being there, everything that I had learned and how I had learned to trust the Lord became real. And now I, I look back and I go, wow, I could have freaked out. I could have just called mom. I could have just thrown a fit and gone into depression. And I remember it passed through my mind. You know, I'm still human. But I went and sat before the Lord, and I said, thank you, God, and I trust that this is going to lead me to something else. Thankfully, yeah. uh, in case you're wondering, I'm doing, yes. I'm doing great with health. Good. And I'm doing just fine, thanks to medicine and to prayers and to everything. Yes. But as a young man, I'm reminded of that, yeah. that I'm not just indestructible and eternal, and yeah. that my faith will always be there to help me as long as I keep that open relationship with Christ, the, the church, the sacraments, and channel that frustration and faith and, and everything through my music. Yes, and I think that through your music, you're helping us, all of us, do the same, in particular this album, and in particular those two songs that you mentioned, Prayer Like His and Reverting. We heard those two songs earlier in the program. Um, we're going to leave it there, Lupe, but thank you so much. I really, really like this album, actually. Um, so I hope that there's more to come so we can have you back on the program and so that I can have some more music in my personal library. Very definitely. Thank you so much for Gracias. having a conversation with me. Okay. You can learn more about Lupe Rios um, or purchase his music. You can go to his website at lupedifranco.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so that you can find it easily. Here now is Lupe Rios with Ya Se Siente from his new album, Paradisum. listening to Lupe Rios with Ya Se Siente from his album Paradisum. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio.
Hello, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. There's something intriguing to me about conversion stories. I guess everything that I've learned all my life and supposedly know and believe, and in some ways, I guess, take for granted, becomes exposed when I read about someone's conversion. And that was exactly the experience I had reading Sally Reed's new book, Night's Bright Darkness. Sally Reed was a staunch atheist, a feminist, and even, you could say, anti-Catholic, who converted to Catholicism in just nine months. It's a fascinating and in some ways unbelievable story. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Sally Reed. Sally, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you for having me. So can we go to the beginning of the story and can you describe your life, a little bit of what your life was like during the 90s when you worked as a nurse at a psychiatric hospital? Sure. I mean, I I was raised as an atheist and I wanted to go into a career that was... uh, that was very altruistic and humanistic because uh, my father, who, who raised me atheist, was actually very noble and really believed in helping people less fortunate. Right. And that was really transmitted to me. So I went into psychiatric nursing with, with very good intentions, if you uh-huh. like. Yeah. Um, and my life as a nurse, I found, I found very difficult because I was really up against several very important things. Uh, first of all, I was up against people dying. Yeah. And I was up against um, dealing with psychiatric patients who had very difficult problems. And at the same time, I was living in London where, you know, it was post-sexual revolution and there was a lot of dating and that general, very ordinary these days, culture of dating and, and hooking up. And right. I found a combination of all that actually made me feel very, very fragile. But I, I never managed to escape my atheism. I felt very strongly that, that there was no God and that only people who were deluded would think that there was. Right, but had, had, I, had I asked you at the time, would you have said that you were fragile? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I would have known that. I, I knew that because I was involved in a very difficult relationship because the men, you know, I hate to generalize, but I think it's true to say that in that culture, certainly what, what, I, what I experienced was that men didn't want to commit. So I was very wounded. And because of my job, I was wounded. And I think it's, it's interesting looking back how um, I got burned out as a nurse. I had a, a very good heart. I think I do have a very good heart. But, you know, without, without God in my life, I just became, you know, sucked clean of, of every good intention, if you like. And I just kind of crumbled. Right. And at that point, I knew I had to leave nursing. Right. And then, uh, then can I, if I can skip ahead, which is, which is something that you do in, in the book as well, skip ahead to, you know, years later, you're now married, you're living in, in Italy. That's, I'm sure, a whole other story in itself, um, just outside Rome or near Rome. Um, what was your life like then, just before you, you, I guess, had that powerful conversion experience? Yeah, I, by that time, I was a published poet, and I was married, and I was a mother. Yeah. So things were much more stable. And yet I, I always used my poetry as a way of making sense of the world. And by the time I finished my second book, I began to feel that poetry did not make sense of the world, particularly contemporary poetry. So I was at a sort of a crossroads in my life. I was, I was approaching 40. Um, I loved being a mother, but my, my child was beginning nursery school and I was beginning to think about my writing again. And I thought that I would write a nonfiction book, interestingly, actually. I thought nonfiction because I wanted to deal with the truth. I wanted to deal with something tangible. And so I began uh, 
researching a book with a doctor who I used to work with about women's sexuality. Right, right. And that, I guess that was the, the um, catalyst, in a way, that, that, that set you on a journey. Um, even before you... I mean, you were, you were anti-Catholic, you, you were very anti-faith in that sense, but you were still longing, searching for truth. I really was, and I think that perhaps that's a tr been a character trait with me, that I've always been a searcher, and yeah. I've never been satisfied. I've always felt that there was something... I, you know, I was never aware of the fact I was searching for God, but I think through art and through writing, I was always searching for a way of making sense of things. Right. And so, yeah, I was at a place where I think that I was at that point in my life where suddenly I needed something much, much more. Right. And you didn't know. But were you actively, you weren't actually saying, well, I'm going to go experience Buddhism or I'm going to experience no, New Age. No, no. And, you know, I, I, because I didn't like religion. I didn't, I didn't like particularly organized religion. I just thought it was nonsense. Like, I really right. thought it was nonsense. Yeah. And, then um, and occasionally, you know, I say in the book, um, in London, when I was going through a very bad period, I did once or twice pop into the Quakers. Right. But the reason I popped into the Quakers was because there was not there was no doctrine and there was no hierarchy right. and it was just a quiet space to be. Right, right. Now, and then you find yourself in these conversations with this particular priest. I'm not going to give away the whole story because I want people to, to get the book, but, <laughs> but you find yourself in this very intense, if I can use that word, um, journey. How much yeah. turmoil is this causing in your interior life as you're struggling with finding something that in some sense feels naturally very true? but at the same time goes against everything that you were brought up to believe. Yeah, it, it was massive turmoil, which is almost difficult even for me to understand now because it's brought me so much peace. Right. But at that time, I, um, it, it happened in such a short space of time that I contacted this priest, Father Gregory, in the March, yeah. and we began emailing, and it was to do with my research. Yes. And in the April, I had this enormous kind of epiphany, if, for want of a better word, where yes. I realized that there was a God... And then I had two very kind of mystical experiences of the Holy Spirit and then of Christ. Yeah. And so this created an enormous, well, until I found Christ, I would say, these experiences kind of created an enormous upheaval in me that in many ways was enormously positive, but at the same time it churned me up immensely. You know, I, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't think, I couldn't work, I couldn't write. Until I found Christ, and then things settled right down. Although at that point, I was—I didn't know that I was going to be Catholic. Yeah, and it—I find—and again—and I said this earlier. I, I, I being a Catholic and a, and a Christian all my life, I, I find this so intriguing because you're not—you weren't drawn in by a particular idea or by a philosophy, or you read something that you know it wasn't an intellectual thing. It's almost like like your experience was like a Saint Paul conversion that it's a, it's a gift that is given to you, like that mystical... It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was like, it really was that Christ came and took my heart. And then the only question was, how do I get close, close to Christ? Right. And clearly that was through being close to the real presence and receiving the Eucharist. Right. So that was the, the absolute fundamental thing. And at the same time, I read around, I, I read obviously the Gospels, and I read around... Uh, the church fathers, etc., yes. to make sense of historically and theologically why I would be Catholic. Right. But it became through that summer, of 2010. It just became very clear that there was one true church, and and it had to be that church. Yeah, and I love the way God revealed Himself to you 
in in such a even though it wasn't an intellectual experience it, it, that it was such a logical kind of first and you've structured the book this way that first we need to be you know children of the father then you then there's a spiritual the, the holy spirit the son which leads you to the church and to mary and then the mystery yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about that structure and that experience and why you chose to to structure the book in that sense yeah, well, really, it, it's almost like I, I, I never knew I was going to write the book. I, I always wondered about whether I should share the experiences. Yeah. Because it just, I wasn't sure, I had to be absolutely sure that it was what I was called to do. And when I, when I considered what had happened to me that spring, I realized that, that God gave me the experiences in a very poetic way. Like, I realized yes. with a shock at the end of that, that period that, that God had come to me in the Trinity, you know, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, mm-hmm. which seemed to me so incredible and amazing because if you'd have said to me pre-2010, what is the Trinity? To be honest, I probably would have stumbled. I don't think I could have answered the question, which, right. which sounds crazy, but I, you know, I wasn't schooled at all yeah. in, in any kind of theology. And so the very fact that God came to me in such a poetic and, and amazing way, just, and the, just everything was, was so beautiful, the timing and, and everything, I just thought, wow, God wrote this, and, and I have to just write it down. Yeah, and, and not just, uh, uh, and that it was so specific to the Catholic faith, because it doesn't stop with yeah. the Father, Spirit, and Son, because it continues with the Church and the Mother yes. and the mystery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really is, again, it just kind of blows me away, you know, what happened. Like I say, I wasn't the author of this. I didn't kind of make this up. Yeah. But how it was... Um, as I was searching for Christ through that summer, when I, when I realized I was Christian, I was always knocking on church doors in London, looking for a Catholic church, almost in an unconscious way, because I, I didn't fully understand intellectually at that time the difference between a Catholic church and a Protestant church, in the sense that I wouldn't have known where to find the tabernacle if someone had asked me. You know, all those things are very new to me. Right. But I was always searching for a Catholic church, and, and every church I stumbled across in London that summer was shut you know, incredibly, but you know, right. it just seemed a very strange thing. And then when I, when I eventually, later on in the book, because I, I wanted to become Catholic and I was due to be received into the church, that day I could hardly get into Rome. The church that I was supposed to be received into, mm-hmm. the cardinal could not arrive there for various reasons, and I ended up going all the way to the Vatican itself. And, and it felt like, it didn't feel like any kind of coincidence. It felt like, you know, that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Maybe just in closing, I know you didn't set out to write the book, but eventually you did feel called to write the book. So what is your hope for, the, for this book? Is it for people who are struggling, who are searching? Is it for, you hope to convert people? I mean, we don't convert people, but what, what is your hope yeah. for the book? Well, it's really a simple hope, and I don't, I don't know who specifically I would, I would target it at, but it's just to bring people to a greater love of Christ, because that's what I feel more than anything, is enormous mm-hmm. love of Christ and enormous love of the Church. And if my book can, can bring anybody, whether they're Catholic or a returning Catholic or even someone who's not Catholic, if I can make them understand the incredible beauty of, of all of that, then, then that's my only, my only desire. And I, and I also felt when I, when I wrote the book that it was, it was like my gift back to God to say, you know, just you know, this heartfelt gratitude and that if I could just write it down and, and encapsulate all of that immense love that I felt through that period. Yeah. And I still do. But, you know, that was a very, very special time. Well, thank you for writing the book and for sharing that experience with us. It's, uh, 
it's a gift and I and I know you realize that but it's a gift to us as well so thank you for sharing oh it. thank you so much and thanks for having me that was Sally Reed the author of Night's Bright Darkness a modern conversion story we spoke to her earlier this week from her home just outside of Rome Night's Bright Darkness a modern conversion story is published by Ignatius and you can get it at ignatius.com here now is our featured artist of the week PJ Anderson with the title track from his album Mercy Mercy You became like me So I could see more like you The world as it should be The way that you created it to Beyond what we can show And hatred is a burden we don't know And mercy, mercy It's sweet like the summer rain Forgiveness is a fortress It takes away our pain And joy is ever flowing through See you. 
That was P.J. Anderson with Mercy, Mercy from his album of the same name. One of the reasons why I love going to World Youth Day is that I get to meet lots of Catholic singer and songwriters and worship leaders. And you know that we here at the Sultan Light Hour, we love meeting new Catholic artists. P.J. Anderson is from Nashville, and he's been playing guitar and writing music since he was 10 years old, growing up in Chicago. While he was a youth minister, he played with many worship bands and now travels the country playing concerts and leading worship at conferences and retreats. This summer, he was part of the official United States Bishops delegation for World Youth Day. And so I'm very happy to welcome PJ Anderson to our program. PJ, welcome. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. Good to, good to talk with you. Yeah, I guess I should start by asking you, how was, how was World Youth Day? World Youth Day was amazing. Um, you know, I've been to three World Youth Days in yeah. my life. One, the first time was I was like 12 years old in Colorado and Denver. With oh, Pope wow. John Paul and Toronto. Yeah. And then um, went to Toronto and then and then Krakow this year. And this was the first year I was involved with, with playing and, and leading worship for some events and um, adoration and different concerts and things. So it was really a beautiful time for, for me. Yeah, I know. It's a... It's a totally different experience to go, you know, you go as a pilgrim or you can go as a, as a worship leader or doing an animator for catechesis. That's a, it's a totally um, great experience. No, it was good. Uh, it was good. And we had some, some good times there at the Mercy Center, too. When, um, we did. Yeah. It was exciting there. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really good. Um, so um, I always ask, you know, anytime we have someone uh, new on the show or someone for the first time, what, what, tell me a little bit about growing up. What You grew up in Chicago, I, I, I understand. So what was like growing up? Yes, I grew up just, just outside Chicago and then lived in Chicago for years. But yeah. um, grew up in a really faithful Catholic family. Yeah. Um, my mom is a religious ed uh, okay. teacher and, and for middle school students. And, yeah. Uh, and my, my mom and dad were both very involved with the church and, and I, you know, went to Catholic school and, and learned how to play guitar from, from a nun, Sister Trita taught me how to play when I was in fifth grade. And, okay, wait, wait, and wait I started, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you learned how to play guitar from a nun? From a nun, yes. Tell me about Sister that. There's a, there's a story there. There's a story there. Yes. So I, um, I was in fifth grade and my sisters had both take, I have two older sisters, one younger sister. And my older sisters both took guitar from yeah. Sister Trita, and I thought they were cool. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to start playing guitar. So I, I, I uh, played fifth or eighth grade, learned from Sister, and, and um, played for like school masses and, and, and stuff. And then kind of quit in high school, focused on basketball, and, yeah. and then picked it back up in college um, and, and really started. That's when I really started writing. But it was, uh, I don't know, the time with Sister Trita was really special. I, I still like, every time I tune my guitar, I remember how she taught me <laughs> to tune the guitar. That's you know? great. That's great. So you were like 10 years old. Um, what, uh, yeah. uh, but you said you didn't start writing music until you were after, like in college. Yeah, college is when I really started focusing on music and, and got involved with bands. And right. um, like I said, high school, I kind of was, was focused on playing basketball and and kind of put the guitar down and I, I got cut my senior year of, of high school from the basketball team and I got involved with the the high school play that year and that's kind of before that I'd only really sang in in my 
my car kind of by myself. I played right. guitar at the Masters, but I, I uh, then went to college and found myself and, and found myself singing and being in bands and kind of found that home in writing writing nice, uh, music nice. And, and worship music. Now, did you ever, like when you were in high school playing basketball and not doing music so much, did you, were you, did you stay, you know, faithful or were you struggling in your, in your faith, you know, being a rebellious teenager or did that, did you go through any of that? Um, I'm just like any teenager, but you know, I was always, my parents had instilled this faith in, in all of us kids, my three sisters and I, so yeah. it was always something that was close to me. Um, but you know, as far as, singing I, I was i was the kid that got in trouble with my mom for not singing oh, and now it's kind of funny that Full is circle funny. now I'm, I'm the one trying to get people to sing it at, at math and <laughs> different events that's great that's great now I, i've seen a photo of you when you were about 15 years old with john paul <laughs> ii so we need to know that story yes. yes so it's that is like a, one of like defining moments in my life you know yeah. we my parents and i had had gone to um Rome with our church with okay. our, back home in, in Indiana. And um, the pastor had, unbeknownst to us, arranged a private audience with Pope John Paul. Wow. And so I, um, we, we woke up at like five in the morning, went to Mass in, the, in the, the Vatican Gardens in his private little grotto chapel. And afterwards, he celebrated Mass. There was just like probably 30 people, maybe less, a bunch of nuns, and then a few other families. And then after Mass, we got to meet Pope John Paul and shake his hand and kiss his ring. And he gives you all a rosary that, yeah. that he blessed. And he, um, he called me a good boy, which, <laughs> which I, I then used against my parents for the rest of my life. You know, oh, whenever I got great. in trouble, I'm like, you can't ground me. I'm, I'm Pope John Paul says I'm a good boy. Yeah, so, That's great. What yeah. a great memory. And, and of course you have the photo there to, to prove it and to remind you, um, this is your fifth album. So mercy, mercy as we've been listening to it. Um, what, uh, I'm amazed that you, I mean, it's like every year, every other year, you're putting out a new album. Um, that that in itself is 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 uh, is pretty cool. But uh, is there anything that you'd say is different about this particular album for you um, in terms of your writing sure. style or your or your music or what you want to convey or your message? Or Absolutely. Well, as far as the style, I, did, I really did try to challenge myself because it's very easy as a songwriter to get yes. stuck in writing songs like you always write them and, yes. and similar sound and similar yeah. lyrics and things. So I tried to push myself with that. And, and this one really was born out of a, a thought that woke me up in the middle of the night. And, and I, I really do believe that, that God put this thought in my head. And, and the thought was, it really just woke me up. And um, it's, the thought was, hatred is a burden I no longer want to carry. And, and I wrote that in my phone and went back to sleep and a few days, you know, maybe the next day or the day after that, I, I, I wrote this song called mercy, mercy. And then just two months after that is when Pope Francis declared it the year of mercy. And I was like, wow. wait a second, this, you know, it just gave me goosebumps just saying that just now, but. And I always joke around, like, maybe Pope Francis has a PJ Anderson Spotify channel. He's like, oh, we should uh, call it the year of mercy. PJ's writing a song about mercy. But yeah. obviously that's not the case. It's it's just I, I love how God works yes. in, like, big, grand ways, like, for all of us. But also he He loves us each personally. And, and for me, that little encouragement of writing this song called Mercy, Mercy, and then Pope Francis declaring it the year of mercy, and then being able to go to World Youth Day in the land of mercy where Pope John Paul is from and sister Faustina and to right. sing that song for so many thousands of people that were there, or millions of people, whoever, you know, whoever was there that, that heard that song. Um, it was just really a, a, 
uh, amazing yeah. time for me. So yeah, and it's a it's a great song. Um, th- did you before he the Pope made the announcement, and you're you're already thinking about mercy and letting go of hatred. Did did you feel that that was going to be like the whole album? Like I have this particular message that I want to convey. Yes, you know, just kind of kept coming up in in themes of, of the songs that I was writing, and it, it, Mercy Mercy was was the first song, and then from that, soon after that, I wrote this song called Sons and Daughters, which is yeah. about how God doesn't look at us as successes and failures; He looks at us as sons and daughters, and that, and as a father myself now, I, I, I understand that love of, you know, of, that I have for my, my son and my two daughters. Yeah. And, and God has this, this mercy that he wants to share with us. And he intends to share with us from the beginning. You know, he promised us a savior from the very beginning, his, his own son. And so that, that theme kept coming up uh, in the songs as I sat down to write. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're going to end the show actually playing that song, and uh, and of course I I don't need, think we need to talk about the first song we heard in the show, which was Love Heals, that that I guess it's very much along the same lines of letting go of hatred, um, letting letting love do its thing. Yeah, my wife and I wrote that song together oh. when, when my band played. We played for them uh, for like thirty thousand people at the March for Life in D.C. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. And we've been going to for years. And yes. And my wife's like, you should, you should write a song for the march. And so most of my good ideas are hers, and I just kind of take them and call them my own. But we sat down and and wrote this song, and it's about uniting our voices as one against all evils that threaten right. the sanctity of life, from abortion to racism and hatred and violence and terrorist attacks. And so that's the what that song is about: how love will heal. We'll God heal. will heal those wounds. Amen. Amen. That's something to keep in mind as, as you guys go into an election uh, in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for uh, for thank taking you. the time to tell us a little bit about you and for sharing your music with us. And uh, hey man, if it's, a new, if it's a new album every year or every other year, um, I'm sure <laughs> there's one in the works and, and we'll get you back on the That's show right. to tell us about it. Great. Thank you so much. Great talking with you. Yes. Okay. You can learn more about uh, PJ Anderson by his music and book him for an event, as I said, at his website, pjandersonmusic.com. But uh, if you didn't write that down, don't worry. Just come to our site, saltandlighttv.org, and we'll make sure that that link is going to be there. Here now is PJ Anderson with that song that he mentioned, Sons and Daughters, from his newest album, Mercy, Mercy. Belong to you, so we are searching. We seek to find the truth, but you're not hiding. So open up our hearts to see your mercy, to be the sons and daughters you've called us to be. listening to PJ Anderson with Sons and Daughters from his album Mercy Mercy and that concludes the special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website saltandlighttv.org/radio. Any comments, feedback or questions 
to send them to me via Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.